Welcome, everybody, to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host for this Friday's proceedings, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your, I think I just said that again, but eh, it bears repeating, football analyst and sideline reporter. Joining me to kick off the show is my friend and host of Dear Drew, host of Texans 360, it's Drew Doherty. What's up, Drew? Not much. I've sideline reported on the TV a little bit, too. You do, yeah. You've done a little bit of everything. You've done Marsha Sharp. Lady Raider Raider based basketball with Marsha Mm -hmm. Sharp. I was a host of that for her final season out there, yeah. Done a lot of different things. Red Raider Sports with Mike Leach. I was talking about Mike Leach with uh, Wes Welker yesterday in the cafeteria. We were chit-chatting about uh, the old pirate himself. It was good to hear some of Wes's stories. What? What are Wes's remembrances of Leach? Is he? I would imagine <laughs> you know, he's a Leach fan. It was, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but it was more current day. Yeah. Uh, he had interacted with the coach, and um, <laughs> it's just funny. I, I, I actually, we were talking about that stuff, and then I, I was telling him a story about how on the the show you could email in questions for the coach. This is 2005 through 2008 yeah. that I did this. Yeah, and. Every Wednesday after practice, we'd go out there and we'd hand him this sheet of paper with like nine questions from people on it. And he would get it after practice was over and he'd take the pencil out from behind his ear and he'd look at it and he'd go, "Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I've answered this question. I don't want to answer. That's a (laughs) stupid question. That's a dumb question too. Oh, look, that's a good question. Okay. Uh, all right. And then he'd hand it back. Yeah. So he'd wh- he'd whittle it down from like eight to about five. Yeah. We'd ask all five, and then we'd put about four, three or four of them on the show. Yeah. So it was entertaining. It was the one. One of them wound up being the one where uh, talks about where, the you, where you go on a first date, and he's like, I suggest you take her to a steakhouse. Yeah. Like so she can't eat a salad. Wasn't there a particular place in Lubbock? He Kegels, said to yeah, Kegels. Kegels. Yeah, that's right. And, that's uh, right. We played that. <laughs> So that was in two thousand. That was two thousand eight, I believe. That yeah, was the that was year. the year they were on a roll. It was the and best team they had. Sean Pendergast and I played that soundbite forever. <laughs> I mean, we played that thing all the time. We were huge. We were huge Leech fans. Yeah. When in two thousand eight that year, and I've been part of the Bear Bryant Awards since two thousand seven, since I got back here, and so. Each year, Sean and I would have the opportunity to sit down with the coaches mm-hmm. and, and interview the coaches. And we interviewed we interviewed every single coach that went through there for I don't know how many of her years, with the exception of one, Nick Saban. Mm. Didn't want to do it. I don't know if he didn't want to do it or I don't know what it was, but he just didn't want to do radio. So yeah. whatever. But we had Chip Kelly. We had Jim Harbaugh. We had Mark Mangino. We had Sylvester Kroon, Gary Pinkle. And so 2008 was our, our biggest year. That Day, we had Tom Osborne, Barry Switzer, Jim Ross, wow, Bob Stoops, Mac Brown, Mike Leach. It's pretty good. All on the show. And see, Leach was from his connection. You know, he, his time at Oklahoma. He, yeah. He and Barry Switzer were, were friends. Yeah. He was also friends with Jackie Sherrill. There were a few times when we did the Leach radio show mm-hmm. that Jackie Sherrill would just kind of sit in the room and hang out. Yeah. While we did this radio show, it was really interesting that the. The guys that he hung around with that you probably would not have associated him with if you think about his offense, his personality. So we, at that show, I mean, it was in, it was incredible. It was my first time to interview. I had I had met Bob Stoops earlier, uh, uh, probably about a year or so earlier, but I had known about him at Florida. I had some friends of mine that knew him from Florida when he was a defensive coordinator there. I did not know Mac Brown. Mac 
I could see exactly why Mac won parents mm-hmm. over and got recruits, and and I, it was it was incredible. Leach is a huge fan. Of his. The most charming yeah. guy I've ever met in my life, and he knew who we were. He walked over and hey, was like, John, hey, Sean, good to see you, fellas. Unbelievable. I was Keep like doing what you're doing here I in was Houston. Blown away. Great radio voice. They were incredible. He they were incredible. So Leach walks up at some point. <laughs> he's got a tie that I swear goes down to the third button of his shirt. You can probably it. count the number of war- times he's little, worn a tie on two hands. A little short, his little short tie. Yep. And he sits down, and at first I feel like it's going to be – we were looking forward to the interview. And at first I was like – it was we started, I thought, man, it's going to be kind of surly a little bit. I don't know why. I just kind of <laughs> got that feeling. And then it sort of opened up. And then once it started opening up, we felt like we could ask him a lot of stuff. So we asked him about – Kegel Steakhouse, and he was like, oh, you like that, didn't you? And then he kind of went into, you know, he kind of went into different things about it, and he's like, well, you know, it made sense to me, and I had to tell her. And so he was, gr- he was great. Yeah, he was great. But it took him a little, it took him a couple, a couple minutes to kind of get rolling and get warmed up. But I'll never forget seeing him roll up with that tie that literally went yeah. down to like his third button, that little short tie. It just, it cracks me up to even think about it. But that year. That year was was unbelievable. The amount of code we had: Kyle Whittingham from Utah, we had Turner Gill from Buffalo. Did you have Urban Meyer? Because didn't Florida? No, uh, that was after. No, Urban Meyer was not somebody who liked to come to these events. Oh, okay. And then after he went to Ohio State, it was like, oh, maybe he's changed. He's and then he committed to come, and then didn't come. So well, that's, not very that's really just yeah. That's not hmm. yeah. That was uh, that was kind of our experience with with Urban Meyer. But that's it. Uh, yeah. Great coach, nothing you can do about it. But yeah, Nick Saban was the only coach of those years that we did that show that would not come over and do radio with us. Interesting. It was actually a, it was surreal after the 2012 season, sitting there doing the interview with Bill O'Brien as the head coach of Penn State. Oh, I bet. That, yeah. But it was cool. It was very cool. Don't get me wrong. Your but it background was, with him, yeah, it was very very surreal. All right, Drew. I I wanted to kick off the show with you because you you sent me this text, and I looked to see if you sent this to anybody else, but you sent no, this text you. to me last night. And I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting because I was just kind of messing around last night after watching some guys play. I was focused more on the offensive side yesterday. And I kind of put my computer up and was just kind of laying around, listening to what was going on on TV. And you said this text. If the starting 11 plays at 75% the entire way through, in 2018 the Texans defense will – and then you left it blank. I put a blank. And so, it kind of got my mind. I I immediately just said, I, I don't know why I didn't see seventy five percent. I just saw eleven play, eleven plays, starting eleven players, entire way through. My immediate thought was, would be the number one defensively. I didn't see the seventy five percent. That's part. meaning like JJ Watt is seventy five percent of his old self. Jadeveon Clowney is seventy five percent of his his best self. But that also means Bernardrick McKinney is seventy five percent of his best health, and so on and so yeah. on. So so it might be a dip. For some guys, but it's a big jump up for guys like J.J. Watt, for guys like Whitney Merciless, maybe Tyron Matthew, too. I It was weird because when you texted back and said, it means Watt and Clowney are bonkers, but are the re- the rest regressing? And then you, you got in my head. I went back and I looked at the text. And I started thinking, okay, 75%. And, and that I guess I was kind of getting lost on that. I mean, it's semantics, but I but I see I see your point. I don't know why I thought of that either, but I, I thought of it and I thought, John will kind of find this interesting, I think. Yeah. My my thought on that being, I think the additions, I feel like there's, let's say Watt is 75% of what 
he was. Let's say he gives you – let's just take J.J. for instance. Let's say that he gives you 75% of the production that he gave you in 14 and 15. You're still talking about – 14 guy, sacks. Yeah, you're still talking about 13, 14 sacks. You're talking about multiple tackles for a loss. You're talking about tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, I thought one of his best plays last year was a play you just got to tackle for, and that was against New England um, <laughs> yeah. that we did a film room on. And but But here's the thing. If his production is at 75% of what it once was, there's got to be ancillary benefit for the secondary. Mm-hmm. Because the secondary, I think, is going to utilize his – because he's going to create quarterback pressures. Mm-hmm. Okay, may, say maybe 75% of what he did. It's but, still a hell of a lot. It's, it's a hell of a lot more than what you've had. Absolutely. And then on top of that – and I, and I felt like this was one of the issues last year – with the defense in particular in those two games against Tom and against uh, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, was the fact that they had time to throw the ball. Now, now the thing about it was Tom, the, the Patriots game, everybody saw that Tom had you know pretty significant numbers, and, and there's no doubt. But the defense returned a touchdown on, on a fumble recovery. They hit Brady incessantly, and after the Patriots came out and scored the first drive of the, the sec, uh, second half, they got nothing for the rest of the game until that final drive. And if they recover a fumble that Marcus Gilchrist forced, right there, game's over. They would have gotten nothing for the entire second half. Or if Corey comes down with, or the, Corey the, comes pick. Down with the interception. Yeah. yeah. There, to me, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And I think that's, that's, and that's where the greatness of Brady was, was so good. He, he found open spaces. He got the ball to guys that were marginally open. And I think that's where the pass rush comes in to me, is that as the season wore on, quarterbacks had more time to throw, and because they had more time to throw, those windows were were larger that they could throw into. And think about it too, you're you're, you're focusing there on Watt, justifiably so. We've made no mention of Whitney Merciless, right? Seventy five percent of that, right? Because that's another weapon in the pass rush. That Absolutely. You've so now you have three, when you really only had. One and a quarter last year with Clowney, and I mean Clowney's set to you know looking like the uh, the contract extension is right. coming. We we've all expected that, right? You know, him and he deserves it. He deserves yes, it. I don't yes, think any question. yes, he does. And you get you put those three together. It's it's what we've been waiting for since right. fourteen when he got drafted. Put those three three together. We'll see what happens. Ah oh, man, I, I just so let me ask you yeah. this: your point of of let's just say uh, Watt and Merciless. If they are just at 75% of their quote-unquote normal production. It could be fully back to normal. But let's just say that they are. Let's yeah. just say that they're at 75% of their normal production. This defense goes where, to answer your own question? Where do you think this defense can be? Obviously, a whole hell of a lot better, and I think the big rise comes in takeaways. I, I place more importance on takeaways yeah. than I do on yards allowed per game. And above both of those... I, I place the ultimate importance on points allowed per game by right. the defense. Right. But if I had to rank them, I'd go points allowed, takeaways, and then yards. And I think it, I think it jumps specifically there in the, the takeaways yeah. more than anything. Yeah, I think to your point, even if they aren't 100%, if they're at 75%, I still think that means takeaways are generated for this defense, they're knocking the ball loose. I mean, they're and I and I think there's another. I think there's another couple of ways to look at this too. Number one, 
if this offense, I don't believe the offense is going to score 40 points a game, but I do think the offense can can put up points with the best of them in this league mm-hmm. when everybody's healthy. And I think that's going to be the case, that they're going to be able to score some points, score some points, defense comes out on the field, they're facing teams having to throw the ball. You're now facing, you know, say you're facing the Jaguars and you got a lead on them, and now Blake Bortles has to throw, and you know he has to throw. Fournette's taken out really as a weapon, then all of a sudden it plays right into your hands in some sense. That's where more turnovers can happen. Last year, Bortles, in the December game in particular, when he got hot, I mean, they had everything at their disposal. They could run, they could throw, yeah. and you were off balance. But now all of a sudden, if you got a lead and Bortles has to throw, well, that plays into your hands a little bit more. But that said, even if those two come back and they're not 100%, they're not right where you'd like for them to be, they're still going to create havoc as long as they're healthy and on the field. No doubt. And you just brought up something that made me kind of think. You said, I don't think the Texans are going to score 40 points a game. And I, you know, I tend to agree with you. I think regression to the mean will happen with the offense. But I also kind of kept expecting that each week with Deshaun Watson. Like I, it I kept, would tail off? Like, well, the, you know, they might the, the defenses might kind of figure something yeah, yeah, out yeah. with him, and, and they never did. Right. And so I just don't know what to think about this offense because in addition to all that, we've heard Bill O'Brien say that this offense is going to look a lot different than it did right. last year. So that could mean a lot of things too. So I just – I have a very happy, no expectation, no way to right. winnow or, 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 or figure out what this offense is going to look like because there's so much uncertainty and you got the trigger man coming back who is so breathless, breathtakingly dynamic. You yeah. know, I just I don't know what to expect and I I, I like that. Yeah, I I, 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 I felt that. a lot like you. Okay, they scored thirty last week. People would ask me, "Hey, you scored." 30-plus at New England, like, not, they won't do that. I know it wasn't a fluke, you know. No, I, I, I wasn't no, thinking I it was a fluke, that. but I just thought, uh, they'll kind of rein him back in a little bit, and they never did. No, they never did, and, I, and hopefully that happens. And with a, I don't say a new offense, because I think there are going to be a lot of things that are pretty similar to what they were doing yeah. while Deshaun was in. Yeah. But it, I, I thought about some things, and, I, and I'll bounce those off of you over the next couple of weeks, but one of them has to do with the draft and the tight end position. But we'll talk about that more okay. next time, Drew Let's Dory. Coming up next... Hey, there's some guys still on this roster that maybe some of you have forgotten about. Mark Vandermeer and I will go subterranean roster next. Who are some of those guys that we may have forgotten about? We need to keep our eye on. We'll do that next right here in Texans All Access. Welcome back to a TGIF Texans All Access. Yes, thank God it is Friday. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, joined now by the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, who did something very cool today. What did you do earlier today that I thought was very – you had an opportunity to talk to some students, did you At not? At Angelo State in a, let's see, it was a kind of a video conference seminar yep. on getting jobs in broadcasting, which is uh, nearly impossible. Kids, don't try this at home. No, but it's funny because I was doing this thing and I was on this app on the phone and, you know, I could barely hear who the other panelists were and I, yeah. they were local people, I thought. And then I hear this voice and I think, this voice is really familiar. Then he's talking about working at the Boston Globe and I'm thinking, Oh, my gosh, it's Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan was on the panel with me. The for, Bob Ryan? Yeah, for these Angelo State kids. And I thought, that's pretty cool that they get to hear from Bob Ryan. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and they said, oh, yeah, you're the featured guy. I'm like, no, I'm not. Bob Ryan is the featured guy. Don't be crazy. It's Bob how, Ryan. Well, how many of the students in the room, I'm assuming 18 to 22-year-old oh, students good in the room, point. would know Bob Ryan versus you? Well, I don't – versus how many of them would know who I am. But the thing is this, and maybe there's oh, some of them are from Houston. football. Yeah, but uh, Bob Ryan, 
It's a good point, Johnny, because, you know, is he old media? Yeah, but he was also a groundbreaker in terms of newspaper guys yeah. who become TV stars. I'll Very put true. the word in quotes because he was on the sports reporters. I thought the best panel of the sports reporters was, of course, Dick Schapp hosting yep. Mitch Album, Bob Ryan, and Mike Lupica. That was my all-star panel on that the sports reporters one. on Sunday morning. And it was actually must-see TV yep. at the time until every show was like that, and you're thinking, take your pick at that point. That was really the first of its kind. Yeah. It really was because you had the, the you-know-what stir with Mike Lupica. Mm-hmm. You had with Mitch, Al- Mitch Album, who... Was more maybe the softer side of sports, I suppose. He you followed look at that sports way. before he started writing all these books about dead people. Yeah, and then you had Bob Ryan, who to me was he knew everything. Yeah, I mean he obviously covered the the Celtics for a long time, but just being in Boston to me, he covered everything, and he was seemingly, in my opinion at the time. He was sort of the foil to Lupica, and I hated Lupica, so I was always a big Bob Ryan fan. There was another sh- part. There was another show out of Chicago, and you might have gotten yeah, it on the RSNs up in uh, Wisconsin mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, yep. Rick Tellender was on it. Yes. Who used to write for Sports Illustrated. And these older guys, and I was like, so what do you think of Notre Dame this week? Right. And they were around a card table or something. And it, was, it was like a dark room. Yes. And I want to call it the sports reporters. I saw there was an article about that show. I saw, and I can't remember. I think it may have been Sports Illustrated wrote about that show. That would that. That preceded the sports reporters. I can't remember what that was called. But that was all sports, nothing off the field. Yep. There was no, It was just, we're talking all ball. Hey, what do you think about the third starter? What yeah. do you think about him? And it, it was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, I used to watch it on WGN. It used to be on WGN. And now uh, every show is back. that. Every and show is people talking about sports and what do you bring to the table. You but, know what I mean? Yeah, there's so much... Of the, I don't know. You know where we've gone, though? Like the starters. I was reading about their 1,000th episode, and congratulations to them, because that show caught my eye. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's it's like guys who used to work for Daryl Morey. That's not really, in fact, what it is. But basketball nerds just talking about NBA, and it works for some reason. They do a Twitter show every day. They do a TV show. It's on NBA TV. It's actually pretty good. If you flood people with content, you know what the heck you're talking about, and you got a little bit of entertainment value to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, have at it. You've got an opportunity, but I, I, unfortunately, I, I think you know, media nowadays you got to say something somewhat shocking for for somebody to pay attention. Unless oh, don't get me started. Yeah, I know, but uh, me, <laughs> me neither. But there 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 are plenty of people that fall into that category. But I, being a, a I'd like to think a true sports fan. I'd like to listen to people that know what the heck they're talking about and are compelling to listen to. Yep. And the starters are, are very, very good, but they are spitting out content left and right. They do their homework. Good. Yeah. They do their homework. There's no question. You know that. Mm-hmm. Drew and I did In the Lab podcast the other day. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd come up with this idea, and then I got really mad at Landry Locker because Landry stole my idea. The, the, the genesis of the idea, we're sitting around and we're talking, and I, I brought this up with you before, so I brought it up with Drew. And so then he... He took it to a different step, and I said, right now we're in the sweet spot of Houston athletes right? professionally with Harden and Chris Paul and all the Astros and obviously what's going on here with Watt and Watson and Hopkins and Clowney and Merciless and the players that are here. It feels like a sweet spot. I know since I've been back in 2007, I can't remember it ever being really like this. With all the sports with at all the same the sports. time. And so I thought, man, what if we ranked like the top ten, did that for our podcast? And he goes, well, hey, let's, 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 do that for, let's do that on radio, and then let's for the podcast, let's do 
the top 10 Houston professional football players, essentially from the Love You Blue era. Not, we didn't go all the way back to the 60s because that was not a time we weren't, we weren't yeah. of that era. We'll start with the Love You Blue Oilers going forward. Let's rank the top 10 Houston professional players in the lab. Put it out on social media, and then the Texans account put it out. I mean, my Twitter timeline has just gone crazy because both Drew and I were mentioned in there, and it just went nuts. It was like, oh, it needs to be Earl. No, no, it's definitely JJ. I mean, it was all over the place. And it was something as simple as we just sat and we kind of came up with the ranking together of what we would do. And I don't want to spoil it for you. You'll have to go look at it in the live mm. podcast. You subscribe to it. But mm. it, was, it, it, it was interesting because as we talked through, I almost talked Drew into a change. But I said, no, we're going to leave it. Warren Moon make the top ten? Well, of course he did. Okay. Of course he did. Yes, he definitely made the top ten. How many Texans do you think made the top ten? I'm going to say at least two, maybe three. You're right. Three. Okay. Three. No, I take it back. We had a tie at ten. We had four. You had four. We had four. Okay. Yeah. You can maybe think about who those guys actually are. So it's in the lab. That's the podcast. In the lab is in the podcast. You get iTunes, Stitcher. It's really good. Now, speaking of dropping in your lap, so to speak, Mm -hmm. we – we get an email every time there is a transaction from our buddy Omar uh, right. in PR, and he sends along the updated roster every time that a transaction happens. And I, the other day, I just was curious. I just, I don't know. I just wanted to see what the roster looked like. Who's because on the roster? First of all, yeah, there are always number changes, mm-hmm. and so I've got to adjust to that. Brandon Whedon was number five. Now he's number three. Oh, oh, you're messing with me now. No, I'm telling you what it is. Yeah, you're right. Brandon Whedon's number three. I didn't even know this. I know. you know, I haven't seen the practice yet. I know. Joe Webb is now number five. So Webb has Whedon's old number. Right. And Whedon has Savage's old number. Right. But that was Whedon's college number. Mm. So that'll, that'll uh, help me because I'll, okay. I'll be okay. Tyler Irvin is now number 21. Okay. Johnson Batamosi is number 20. But that was, really wasn't the, the, the purpose I'll be fine with that. That wasn't, really wasn't the purpose. In fact, I'm going to have DP on to talk a little bit more about the makeup of the roster. But as I started going through the roster and looking at the names, of course you see familiar names, Jonathan Joseph, Cream Jackson, Lamar Miller. You start seeing some other names, you went, oh, man, I forgot he was on the roster. Yep. That guy might be able to be a part of this roster. And so we do this every year at training camp. We talk about the subterranean roster members. Mm-hmm. Those guys we're not talking about that have an opportunity to make an impact on this team in some way, shape, or form. Now, by design, it's not a group of players that they're all going to make it. All the guys we talk about, maybe one guy makes an impact. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But, but these guys have a chance. But they have a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. So there's a chance. Mm-hmm. And so I know you looked at the rod. I, I gave yeah. you that that exercise. Right. Give me your first subterranean. Okay. Roster player that you think has a chance. I'm ready. And he got back with the team. I forget when, but we saw him for like a day and a half at training camp light it up. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking, we need to see this guy more. Yeah. And that would be, I'll give you his number, number 11, DeAndrew White. Mm-hmm. DeAndrew White came to camp, and he was such a breath of fresh air. Second year accredited out of Alabama, mm-hmm. and he started catching everything. And he had chemistry with Watson and Savage, and then he gets hurt. Yep. And bye-bye DeAndre White. And he ends up rejoining the team. Was it this offseason or late in the regular season? Late in the regular season. Because I remember I saw He played in the Colts game. I they saw, needed him, too. Yeah, that's right. I saw him in the um, 
break room yeah. during the season. And I didn't know who it was. And I said, hey, uh, Mark Van, I just introduced myself. And, yeah. You know, no one was around. He said, hey, I'm DeAndre White. I'm like, ooh, DeAndre White's here. Yeah. And if he's here, he's probably signing. They're not bringing right. him in to talk to him. Right. So uh, he ends up signing. And I forgot about that, that he actually did get a little piece of the action yep. in the regular season. So this is great for him to be back. And I think he's got the ability, again, a chance to do something because it's not like they're ocean deep at wide receiver here. There are opportunities for these guys to, uh, you know, rise and fall and whatever. Just because you have guys who have played in this league like Sammy Coates and even Braxton Miller doesn't mean a guy like DeAndre White can't crack into the lineup or at least out of the roster. Think of the roster makeup at wide receiver going into last training camp Mm -hmm. and what it is now. Obviously, Hop, DeAndre White was not there. Bruce Ellington was not there. Chris Thompson was a rookie. Sammy Coates was not there, and Monte Crockett was not there. Thompson's it's a, a completely remade wide receiver. Sa- Sammy Coates is interesting for a variety of reasons, yep. of course. And Thompson, good special teams player. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what he's he found he his does role. It. I yeah. think he's found his role. I think it's going to be a good one. Wants to be Matthew Slater, maybe. That I'm fine with that. All right, I got one. Mm-hmm. Latroy Lewis, outside linebacker, yep. played a little bit at the end of the year. He was in Oakland, had a really solid training camp with the Raiders, but I just think numbers-wise in Oakland, it wasn't it wasn't going to work. They had Khalil Mack, they had Bruce Irvin, it just wasn't going to work. And so when the Texans picked him up, put him on the practice squad, I was I was thrilled because the way last year was going, you figured he was going to get on the field at some point. He finally did it at the end of the year, and I felt like he did some good things. I was a big fan of his coming out of college where he wore number four, and I love single-digit defensive lineman numbers. For some reason, That's I don't know why, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, I suppose. But Latroy Lewis always flashed in games that I watched. And he, of course, was on the field with Derek Barnett, so your eyes always went to Barnett. But I kept looking at number four going, I think he can play. And the fact that he's the outside linebacker position again, to your point, Mark, when you look at the outside linebacker, just pure outside linebackers, you got Witt, you got Brent Scarlett, you got Jameel President, Latroy Lewis. Mm-hmm. Now we know Clowney can bump out there and play if he needs to. Sometimes Bernardrick rushes from out there. But as full outside linebacker, and then Yifoma Kamalo is listed as outside linebacker, but he kind of bumps inside, outside. There's a number of the things they do with him. But I think Latroy Lewis, with a full OTAs in offseason and then training camp, I think he's got an opportunity to surprise some people when we get to training camp. I was going to say Jamil President at that position, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But uh, he's 275. He's a pretty big outside linebacker for a 3 4. But yeah, again, I don't know that he's that big. Really? Yeah, I don't think he's going to reweigh him and see how it all works. Well, I mean, Vince Wilfork looks. was three twenty-five on the roster for about fourteen years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Never changed. Maybe not. <laughs> Never changed. I don't yeah. know what these. Where these you know what changes every day with him? I know, but it, but these weights never. I don't know. They, I, I don't. What's ever produced on the roster? I right. don't know if that's ever, ever right on. To be honest with you, but yeah, Jamil President, I think is a good one. Okay, I'll give you another one here. Okay. Because tight end is something where they're going to need depth. Yep. I mean, at maybe more than depth, okay? Yep. I think they need actual participation. You know, blocking tight end, maybe pure blocking. John McClain thinks they're going to draft a pure blocking tight end, maybe somebody who has the potential to catch, but mm-hmm. not really looking for that first and foremost, you know, go for a straightforward guy. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not in the third round, but I bet in the third round you're looking at tackle tight end, that's another topic, I guess. Yeah. You know, what are the lock positions in that third round for them? And I know it's best athlete available, but Brian Gain admitted that's theoretical, and it looks like they have some needs here. But I'm going to say 
pick your tight end, but I'll go Zach Conk, or Conke, as Drew Doherty would say. He's just trying to throw <laughs> us off the set there with the pronunciation. Yeah. Incorrectness. It's Zach Conk, the former quarterback from Stephen F. Austin, who now is in year two. So we went through it for a season, 6'6", You know, he's a quarterback. You know, he knows his way around a football field. Let's see if he can do some damage here in year two. Yeah, I, I think he, the tight end, tight end position is going to be very, very interesting because I do think somebody's getting added to the mix. Here's, here's my thought about the tight end position, Mark, before you give you the last one. The game against Seattle, I don't, there's something about that game against Seattle, I felt like that was the Texans' offense at its best. Right. At its best. How often in that game did Ryan Griffin line up as a true tight end? He was spread out. He was either a sniffer tight end, like a fullback or a fullback. He spent a lot. I don't remember him lining up as a Y tight end that entire mm-hmm. game. And if we're talking about, and Coach O'Brien has talked about, the offense changing, maybe that's one of the ways that it changes. Maybe that you don't need spread that. Spread them out. Maybe you don't need that big blocking tight end. Mm. You can spread teams out and still run. Maybe that's something they're thinking about that, hey, we don't need maybe a blocking tight end. Maybe we just need a really good athlete at tight end that I we can do you. some things with. I hear you. But here, here's my thing. This is still the NFL. I know. And it's I the fourth quarter, I know. and you're up two touchdowns. you got to pound and, the rock. And I you want to pound. And it's Bill O'Brien. You know he wants to do it. There's no way you can tell me. It's like, I, yeah, I know. We've changed I the know. offense, but guess what? Everybody get in the hole and block, and I'm <laughs> going three yards in a cloud of dust right here, baby. All right, he doesn't want to just do three yards. But you get my drift, yeah. Johnny. He I, definitely wants to find I a way know, to move I know. bodies. But he can do that with a tackle. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they'll go six. They'll, they'll go six old the tackle, line. So yeah, they don't throw it to him. And, and they, here comes they the run, everybody. Run, they know you're going to run the ball. Well, yeah, you're up two touchdowns. You're yeah. trying to run clock, and you're trying to, you know. They're going to have those instances where you're like, all right, what do we do with Watson now? You know, we want to protect him, right. but we want to get a first down. So what are we going to do? Yeah, I'm sure they're having those conversations all offseason long. Listen, this is what we're going to do in second-half situations when we're up. When we're down, it's pretty obvious that we need to throw the ball and move the ball. But when we're up, you want to move the ball, but you want to do it safely. But the best thing about having Deshaun back there is as soon as he gets the ball, first of all, all eyes go to him. Secondly, as soon as he puts it into a running back's belly, there's a guy you don't have to block. Yeah, There's a guy right there. You don't have to block him. Don't mm-hmm. have to touch him because you're going to force him to read. And if he wants to sit there and wait for Deshaun – hand the ball off, and now you've got a man advantage up front, all because Deshaun is back there. That's it's almost true. like having another blocker because Deshaun can take – if that guy crashes, let Deshaun pull it and tell right. him to get down like he did against Seattle. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just curious to see how that, that all fits. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to a guy – I know Troy Nicholas signed with the Patriots, right. but that's the kind of guy I would think about mm-hmm. if I wanted to do that that could catch a little bit. Maybe, that, maybe there's a guy in this draft that they look at think – that they think can block a little bit better. There are a couple of guys I have my eye on. I won't give it away too much, but Ian Thomas from Indiana is a guy I really like. Hey, he was an Evander mock of mine. Also, if I'm, if I'm Zach, Zach Conk, by the way, I am living with the jugs machine. I am catching everything. Yeah. Somebody's throwing me 100 footballs a day. I don't care who it is. I just need to do this. All right. To end the segment, I'm going to give you Bryce Jones. Okay. Defensive back. Was on practice squad last year. Did a lot of good things as a rookie. You can tell that he's always asking questions. He loves ball. Bryce Jones is my final one. Mark, I like that one. Thank you very much for stopping by. Thanks, Johnny. Did you catch Tyron Matthews' Players' Tribune article? DB Sidhu did. We'll talk about that next right here on Texans All Access. One final segment of Texans All Access on this wonderful Friday evening. I'm your host, John Harris. 
Now joining me, my good friend, D.P. Sidhu. D.P., how are you doing? I'm good, Johnny. I have to say thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, oh. which is now up Yes, on TuneIn, Stitcher, and the like. It's, you know. It was very fun. It was, uh, it's all over Twitter. It was great. We went behind the Harris 100. Yes. We did a deep slant on the Harris 100. Your process, how you scout players, what you look at. I feel like I had so many questions. I could have done a part two. <laughs> so uh, it's funny because Mark, Mark Vandermeer was like, you're getting John Harris on your podcast? Like, don't you and Johnny talk all the time? Yeah, pretty much. I said, we do talk, but we don't uh, We don't talk about it like that. These yeah. are things that I've, like, yeah. always wondered about. But, you know, when the Harris 100 comes out, you're just more focused on, like, what's already there. Yeah. Not, like all the ingredients that went into making it. Yeah, so, exactly. This, it's good stuff. Those, Check it and out. the second version of that should be up hopefully pretty soon. Not throw anybody under the bus because it takes me a long time to put it together. And Adav Leibowitz and her brother have put this together. And it Adolf, looks great. You can sort it so by good. position. Oh. You can hover over it. I really, I really like the layout. Yeah, it's it looks really it's good. been so, so good. And I, it, it's funny. I've gone back. I've gone back and I've looked. I got this, I got this the other day, D.P., Somebody had asked me, and I can't remember why this question came up. This, but the question came up about what my original thought was on Brock Osweiler, and they wanted to know. I, I can't Wait, remember original, what he said. Original, like my draft, my draft, your draft. Okay, not when he came with my okay. draft analysis. Um, and I don't remember. Oh, I know what it was. I was on Triple Threat, and I was. Asked about I made some kind of crack about Brock. I can't remember what it was. Something about it not turning out or whatever the case might be. I don't I don't remember exactly. But I got this tweet from this individual, and I can't, I'm trying to I'm trying to find it real quick. I'm sure I won't be able to. But essentially, it was what I I would have liked to have seen your original thought on Brock Osweiler. So I was like I was like oh here was oh here was it was from M6 soccer fan, and he said. It would be cool to see your pre-draft notes on Brock Osweiler. Also, now that he is at this point in his career, what are the major shortcomings that stand out to you now? So I sent him this. This is from my draft profile in 2012. See how, see how I did. Okay, uh, let's leave see. It up to I'm you. really curious about Okay. This. Has a tendency to lock onto wide receivers, but plays in a system that creates those tendencies. Decent feet outside the pocket for his size. Takes a while to get rid of the ball. Labored release. At times will step into his throws nicely. Because he doesn't hold defenders with his eyes, he ends up having to throw into traffic, plays in simplistic read offense, low release point, inconsistent with zip on his passes. Some of his throwing issues look coachable. Overall, some teams will be intrigued by Osweiler's size, but his arm slot and delivery make him play shorter than his listed size. When he steps in his passes, he looks pretty good, but he needs work to improve his consistency. He makes way too many dangerous throws for playing in a system. He will probably be overdrafted on his size and potential, I projected him to go in the third slash fourth round. He went in the second round. Wow, John Harris. You need to have a podcast where you just go back and read yeah. your uh, scouting reports. I need to, You know the one I need to find? You know the one that I probably hit out of the park maybe more than any other draft uh, prospect that I've ever done because it was in that same year in 2012, and I have it on my, my computer that's upstairs by my office. Was Whitney Merciless? Whitney, I was gonna say, was it Whitney Merciless? I Obviously, nailed it. I mean, it is. It. I nailed it. I went back and read it. Was like, <laughs> oh my gosh! Like I made it. I made a comment about how. What was accurate about it? Everything. I hit it out of the park, DP. What are you talking oh, okay, about? Okay. No, I mean it was. It, it was. Um. Gosh, I, I'll have to get it. I'll have to read it one day. 
I, I might read it for Whitney one day. I think he'd be proud of me. But one, I remember one of the things a, that I did say. This is a segment right now. This is a, t- a Texans TV segment. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it could be pretty good. I, The one thing I definitely remember saying was Whitney does not play the run very well at all. In due time, I think he'll be able to. It's going to take some work, but that is probably the biggest hole in his game. And it was. Early on in his career, he did not play it the run very well. Seasons. It took him a few seasons, but man, now he's a monster oh, against the run. You cannot, you can't run at him whether he's in the middle or outside. But the whole thing, when you hear it, you go, "Oh man!" <laughs> now those obviously are some good ones, but there have been bad ones. What's the, the, the biggest miss? Biggest miss you? Well, had. we all know it's Dwayne. Uh-huh. There's no question. I mean, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Brown back in 2008 was probably. Oh, the, that was okay. You that was the biggest one. You, you've talked about him. Uh, you know, besides, you know another one. Besides you know another him, one, and, yeah. I, and and I think, I think maybe I I fell into a trap. Now, I think I still think I still think, had he just stayed on the football straight and narrow, I do eventually think that Johnny Manziel would have eventually learned how to play quarterback the right way in the NFL. But I just felt like really? there was something about Johnny that he was going to eventually make plays. In the NFL, and he started to do it in 2015. I remember there was a game against the Steelers. We were on a road trip. We went. We were going somewhere, and I can't remember where it was. I think it was Cincinnati. Yeah, it was Cincinnati. We went to, remember we went to Cincinnati in 2015. Well, that Sunday, we were going to the hotel. We were driving to the hotel, and the Browns were playing the Steelers. And Johnny was having one of his best games. The Steelers, I think, ended up having to win that game in overtime. And I remember thinking that day, man, if he can just build off this. And then a couple weeks later, he ended up getting dinged up, and then the rest of the season went off the rails. Right. But that was that was probably my – that's probably when I look back and go, man, all the things off the field. I knew all the things off the field. I had heard all that. But those are some demons that don't go away Yeah, exactly. Players. Exactly. And that's why I wonder – you know, he's going to be playing in this in this new the spring, spring league. league. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen him tweet. He, he and Tyron Matthew have an interesting uh, yeah. Twitter relationship. They they really seem to cheer each other on. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Speaking of, yeah. Now, Tyron Matthew, that was one that when How'd I you go do back, on him? The, I you know it's funny. Back in 2013, I was writing for Yahoo Sports, and I did a I did a draft board for each team. So what I what I did was I took each. I took each position, and I wrote a breakdown of the position, and then I went first through seventh round, a player that might be available to that team at that particular round that would fit that team. And so there would be times, like, I wouldn't have a, you know, maybe a first, second, or third round, because it may not be a priority, but then in the later rounds, I'd have somebody. So I went back, and I tried to find what I wrote about Tyra Matthew, and I had him pegged. I, I put him in the in the Texans. I didn't think the Texans would draft him. But I wanted them to. But I had him as a fourth rounder because all the stuff he had going off the field, that he would go in the fourth round. And then I laid out the case why I thought he would be good in Houston. Okay. He's with John Lucas. You know, it's a good locker room, a lot of vets. I think they'll surround him. I think it'll be a good location for him, all that kind of and stuff. And it might have been. It might and have been it, a good time to been. stay in Houston. It may yeah. have been. It worked out for him in, in Arizona, and now he's here. But uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. Did you see his Players' Tribune article? I read it. I actually wrote a story about it on HoustonTexans.com. Yeah. So I linked to the original article. But a few parts of that, I, and I love Players' Tribune. A few weeks ago, Steve, so France, Steve Francis yeah. had one oh on my, there. Oh, that blew me I away. Don't, I don't know where. I, I was waiting for my food. I, w- I had ordered food from a restaurant. I was waiting for it. And I thought, oh, 20 minutes. And I started reading it. And I couldn't stop reading the Steve, Steve Francis story because I thought, oh, so I remember good. going to the Rockets games. I remember watching him play. I had no idea. Yeah. How he grew up, 
what he overcame to get into the NBA, and the fact that, you know, every, a lot of people thought, oh, he, you know, he, he had like, a, he sort of flamed out towards the end. It's amazing to me that he even made it to the yeah. NBA because oh, of everything that he went through. But anyway, Players Tribune is fantastic. Tyron Matthews' story is great. We heard everything he had to say at the introductory press conference here. Yeah. When he signed with the Texans. But there's something about a player write, writing it in his own words. And yeah. there were some stories in there. You know, I think I love it when players tell stories because you can say all you want. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really attached to Houston. Right. But then when you tell the story of Katrina and how you left and what you saw. That story blew me away. I mean, that it's like oh. haunting. It's haunting. And I, I, I referenced that in, in the story I wrote because I thought this is just it's amazing because it's something that the way he describes it. You pu- you can put yourself in that situation mm-hmm. today, so I thought I thought he did a fantastic fantastic job. I wrote my week slant on Tyron Matthews working out because he's out in Arizona, yeah, he's yeah. working out in the heat. And um, for those of you who like working out, my my whole story began with all these boot camps around town. Because have you seen all these boot camps like no. early in the morning, late like everywhere I go there, it's like boot camp city in Houston. What's going on? I, I guess know. the weather's getting a little bit better. The weather's nice. Potentially, Maybe people are trying to lose their winter winter I quote know. weight. I don't know, but I'm anyway, to do that. I uh, yeah, I I wrote, I wrote a little story about all of his workouts. You know, it's funny that the the part you know when he talked about Houston, that it, it was interesting how he felt because I was I was reading that part and I thought. In that situation, having to leave New Orleans because of all that was going, you know, because of Katrina that hit, and then having to come to Houston, my initial thought was, "That's not really my home. I'm only there for a short amount of time. That's going to be a, a memory, a, not a great memory for me because it got me out of New Orleans. That's not a place I'm going to remember fondly." But it was the exact opposite, right? For him, I, it was I, the exact opposite, which stood out to me so much that I would think Houston would be a revival of a bad memory because I know when we go, when we go next to new Orleans or Dallas, we're gonna those remember, cities aren't yeah. going to be a, it's not going to be like those are bad cities, but it's going to kick up all that went on with hurricane Harvey. And Oh man, it, it's just going to give leave me this kind of awful feeling leaving my family here in Houston and going to new Orleans. If we go there for a preseason game or whatever, whenever we go to new Orleans or Dallas next, I'm going to, I know I'm going to have those feelings. You know, because of, and not that I'm going to, oh, hate New Orleans, hate Dallas. But you just, it just brings but you, you just have that. It that, takes you back to a time in your life that, that was, was very stressful horrible. and horrible. And, and you just felt so completely helpless. Yeah. I mean, I know we didn't get very much sleep because we were just trying to get in touch with our families here and just seeing mm-hmm. the images on the news. And I just saw like my intersection outside my house just yeah. completely underwater. And I thought, how can we get home? And we, you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. drive home, you couldn't fly home and you didn't know when you'd be able to fly home. And you just kept watching the weather. Hoping for it to end, and Hurricane Katrina. I mean, I can't even imagine what he went through having to evacuate for months at a time. Like I you know. can't even go back to your city. But he tells the story of being in a Louisiana shelter and how it was just oh, it was just so gut wrenching, gut wrenchingly sad and devastating. And but you know he he writes about it beautifully. Yeah. Because then he talks about coming to Houston and how that was just sort of a new start and how people here really received him. And I just. I can see where his love for for Houston comes from, and I get what you're saying because I thought the same thing. I thought, isn't Houston kind of a bad memory? But right. you know, he kind of went through almost worse right. when you, when he left for for Katrina before he got to Houston. Yeah, and he felt like, as he notes in the article, he felt like Houston was where he was well received, and so he felt like the people were so nice and they were so giving and so helpful once he they got to Houston. 
it it made him think about this place in a in a good way and thankfully thankfully, thankfully because now Tyron Matthew <laughs> is a Houston Texan and oh oh my so gosh excited about that is it week one yet oh so we, exciting we got we got to get there there's no question DP I appreciate you stopping by thank you thanks Johnny. And there you have it, DP, Drew, Mark, all on the show tonight. Thank you all. Have a great, great weekend. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. And as always, go Texans.